Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. Hey everybody, David here. I was going to jump in in the middle of this episode to discuss the recent news about the postponement of the Airsmith Black Crows tour. Ian could not join me on this real quick because he is in a record store somewhere on Long Island looking for another Stephen Stills album. But anyway, as most of you know, the tour was postponed. It sounds like Steven Tyler did some real damage to his vocal cords and is going to have to rest it up for a while. It's really unfortunate. Uh, the Crows got great reviews on this tour. It's nice to see them playing in front of a packed house in a big arena like that. I think it probably did what they um, wanted to happen exposed them to a lot of people got off the train after Southern Harmony. And so uh, anyway, here we find them nothing to do for a little bit. So boys, let's get that album out. Let's get a, a single out. Let's hear the new music. We're all hoping for that. Uh, of course, wish Steven Tyler all the best. Aerosmith, one of the greatest American rock bands of all time. But man, they sure are snake bit lately when it comes to staying on stage. And that's not a joke about Steven Tyler falling off the stage. Just they, they keep having these health issues between joey kramer tom hamilton tyler um only one I, I can't remember anything happening to brad whitford so i guess he's the iron man of the group anyway hope the crows get the record out sooner rather than later and uh, add some shows now that they have some free time also our producer jason has come up with an idea to have some stories told by eric bobo and we're going to call that segment bobo on the corner and uh, so we're going to drop that in on this episode so anyway back to the podcast Ford is he's he's great I remember just like you know watching him like in the studios you know laying down his solos and everything like that again so he had the chops I mean really I I have to give kudos to all those guys that I mean again top tier they they weren't just just some musicians that just knew just a couple of chords and made it happen you know these guys were doing music you know, these guys were really seriously making some music. And that that came across. And everything, what I saw and what I heard, and I, I, I saw it firsthand, amazing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? I am great, and I'm finally glad we're able to do this podcast this week. Because yes. you have caused it to be postponed, what, four, five, six, maybe seven times? David, the good people that have been listening to us for years, don't fall for your ruse. They're not going to believe all this uh, kind of malarkey that you're talking. But yes, we did have to postpone this one a couple of times, and uh, we should apologize to our guest, somebody we've... Uh, been friends with for a while. First time on the program, though. Yeah, everybody, please welcome Mr. Trent Johnson. How you doing, sir? Hey, guys. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> hey, we hung out with you one time though before. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I was trying to think of when that was. I think it's been over two years. Probably. May of twenty one. Yeah. yeah, that's when we convened in the uh, suburbs of Atlanta and uh, 
checked out the Americans when they had a gig down there. Funny story about that. Uh, obviously, that was the first time Ian and I had ever met <clears throat> and met Seth Miller and, and Steve Gleason and Ermine and that whole crew and Dave Chamberlain. Uh, he came over and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody else. Anyway, for a lot of people, that was their first time out really since COVID hit. And I had I, I got vaccinated in like that December. I was lucky to be one of the first ones to ever get it. So once that second vaccine kicked in, living life, you know, not worried about it. And it was Ian's first time really, I guess, out of New York since it happened. And we were getting ready to go that night. And he's like, hey, how many people do you th- think they're going to be wearing a mask? I said, are you wearing one? He said, yeah. I said, you. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. Different times. You know? That was a very fun weekend. We got to meet you and, and Dave Chamberlain. And then we got to meet all the Amorkins. And uh, it was just uh, two nights, three days of just a lot of fun and, and friendships developed from that, that hopefully are going to carry on for the, the rest of our life. And if I remember correctly, I was walking to the bathroom and you stopped me with your wife or something. And, uh, and then we realized you were black crow's guitar guy. And, uh, the end of the night, one night was kind of hazy, but I think I remember you and I sitting there holding, uh, that bass that recorded three snakes or something like that and, and talking with Gleason. Yeah. Hazy sounds about right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. It it was fun to to meet all the people I've seen on online and met online. Just really, uh, Seth is the one who started. I have to say, when I started my little Black Crows guitar page during COVID, he was the first person to reach out to me and be like, "Hey, man, what? Like, who are you? Like, this is awesome. This is cool." And um, yeah, just sure enough, I happened to see that they were coming down to Atlanta. Like, met up with with everybody. Funny enough, I saw. I saw you guys like actually meeting in the parking lot and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if Ian and David have actually met yet. I'm going to stay away for a while in case <laughs> like this is their first meeting, but. Well, it was really it was interesting that Sean Hillman came down the night before. And so did I, I'd never met him. And I just left his name out. We went to breakfast that morning and I said, Hey, Ian is flying in. And, you know, obviously from where we were to the airport in Atlanta was up quite the drive so i said ian just take the train as far north as you can and i'll pick you up and uh so that's what we did and so sean hillman documented this meeting for the first time and ian didn't have roses or anything for him it was a real letdown it's a, a little bit like uh steve and uh chris picking up steve from the bus stop in atlanta yeah okay <laughs> i do want to say before we get going trent you and seth partook in in helping have a very cool birthday gift for me I had been all over the Americans for years to play Life Vest. I don't know why I'm the only one that likes the song. I think it's great. I love the harmonies on it. I love the riffs that that Rich has on it. And on my birthday, I get this video and you guys had put a lot of time in it. You'd overdubbed it, filmed a video of uh, playing Life Vest for me. And I thought you guys nailed it. You did the rhythm and the lead. And then the best thing was on one of the videos, they're just sitting there kind of playing the, uh, the percussion. And then the next one they're singing. And so, uh, that was uh, one of the cooler, uh, birthday presents I've ever been given. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thanks. I mean, it, it was a pleasure to do it. Um, just to, well, for one, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to learn Black Crow songs and that's one I, I had never tried. So it was a fun challenge and it was a challenge. It's not as easy as it sounds. Mark's got that B-bender going. 
And it should be said that the trio that did that video, David, is actually the it's the brothers from another mother of a feather, uh, which is uh, Seth and Tom and Trent, and they do a nice uh, acoustic tribute to the Crows music, which is a, a sporadic collaboration. But when it happens, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's always fun to get to play with uh, Seth. Hopefully, not our last time. Um, I don't think we have anything locked down, but uh, hopefully. Maybe early next year or something like that. And Trent is also one of our very first patrons that we ever had. He's he's been around that crew for a long time, and we uh, we thank you for that, and we hope you're getting your money's worth on it. Yeah, absolutely. I've gotten more than my money's worth, no doubt. But this week we are here to discuss an episode that we had the idea for quite a while back, and uh, we were picking the right person to do it with. And Trent, you are that guy. And we well, his gonna... name is Black Crow's guitar on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, who else are we going to pick? Eric Johnson guitar? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's a fair point, David, but I'm just saying. I'm trying to make Trent feel special. Okay. JJ Kale guitar. Please come on and talk about Mark Ford. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we're going to be talking about our favorite Mark Ford moments, our top five each. And uh, we do have some mutual moments here. So, uh, you know, we're going to combine those into uh the chat stew but uh hey, real, real quick though trent how did you come up with the idea to do black crow's guitar on instagram honestly i so it, it all happened around that spring of when covid first hit and i got laid off i was working for Gulfstream at the time and just got laid off like a bunch of people did and had a lot of free time on my hands and i've been obsessed with the crows for a decade and Obviously, I've played guitar that whole time and just really have become obsessed with Rich Robinson, essentially, is what it was, and just all the tunings. And so I knew all these riffs just from playing them at my house or for my friends or with my friends, and it was mainly boredom. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you play in any other bands? No, I don't. Um, I'll play around town sometimes um, with my dad. He's retired and plays a lot of different places, some restaurants and things. And I'll, I'll be his, uh, his little lead guitar player and, uh, try and hang on to all the, you know, sixties and seventies stuff, but no bands for me. Well, I can't say that. I blame you. Sometimes it's tough being in a band. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no time really. I'd love to do it. Yeah. Well, there's that too. Yeah. You have to devote a certain (laughs) amount of your personal freedom to, uh, being a part of a band. So that does make you though qualified to discuss the uh, maybe some of the more technical aspects of what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I'm going to start with you, Trent. I'm going to hit your list first. And uh, this is one of the ones that you had singularly that wasn't a mutual pick uh, between all three of us or a couple of us. And that was Black Moon Creepin'.
this was one I really didn't have pegged out except going back and kind of listening, which first off, you could pretty much pick anything off Southern Harmony. I mean, that's, in my opinion, one of the best guitar albums of all time. But I, I love Black Moon. Just it's it's a great song for Mark. He my favorite solos of his are ones where he sort of kind of creates his own melody. He He kind of creates a pattern and then he'll move it up and down the neck. And that's what he does on Black Moon. He's got a lot of bends in there, a lot of hammer-ons. That left hand is doing a lot of work. And his right hand is having to adjust to his left hand with just all the bends and hammer-ons. And he, no one does it like him. Um, so this is one of my favorite solos of his. Um, and one of my favorite songs of the Crows. Yeah, I always like this one myself because I think he gets real down and dirty with the... Uh... I guess it's a talk box, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's sort of this, the back half of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is great guitar work from Mark. But like you said, pretty much anything on Southern Harmony, you know, you throw a dart at it and you're going to hit a cool Mark Ford moment. Or you're going to hit a cool anyone moment on that album. That's yeah, just so, uh, so much good guitar between Rich and Mark on Southern Harmony. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David, what do you think of this one? Oh, I, mean, I love that song. And, and, you know, obviously live, it takes on a. Uh, life of itself and it's got kind of this like swampy feel to it it's just a uh, it's just filthy from a guitar standpoint uh both rich and mark adding to that black moon creeping is just an amazing thing live and was it black moon jam they call it um and then um when it kicks in to me it's one of those things like when it kicks in the riff opening riffs played really fast live yeah. uh, that rich does and always gets you going and it's it's one of those songs i think that if somebody's a casual fan and just knows the hits, they can hear that though and enjoy it. And you're right. Mark just slays on this one. I mean, the, the whole album he does, yeah. uh, it's kind of hard when you go oh, the, find a great Mark Ford moment. But even though this is a Mark Ford show, it's also a rich Robinson show because as Mark told us, he doesn't play that way with anybody else. And I don't think rich plays that way with anybody else. And so rich kind of lays the, the the groundwork and then mark comes in and and adds the extra special stuff to it so i don't anybody think we don't appreciate rich robinson because we're going to do a rich robinson show like this too but the, the two of them when they work together it's magic and i mean mark told us that and this is a great example of that i would definitely agree on that and uh southern harmony was always one of those those records where mark makes it look so effortless everything he does it's almost like he just kind of showed up and started playing and and in fact, you know, when we smoked him, he said a lot of the things he probably couldn't replicate a hundred percent because they were just in the moment and, you know, of the emotion he was having at the time. So, you know, that record is just endlessly cool for so many reasons and that being a big part of it, the spontaneity. But David, you had one on your list that almost made mine and it is definitely, definitely a fine example of Mark's playing in a, in a special moment from Mark Ford and that was Feathers. Yeah. 
Charlie Starr told us the man doesn't play many notes, but the ones he does, he makes matter. And I don't think there's a better example of that than this song. It starts off with that drum beat by Gorman, which is simple but effective, lays the groundwork. And then when Mark comes in on top of what Rich is playing, it's haunting. And you don't even have to hear the lyrics to the song to know that this is going to be a very deep, emotional, moving song. And I think that's a, a great talent because nothing has been spoken, uh, you know, and it goes on for a while before Chris ever sings. And then the outro on it is just eerie. I think this is like one of the eeriest songs that they play. It's very haunting. And the way he, Mark plays on it so slow, uh, it, it just helps to emote uh, what the song is about. I, I went back and forth on this. I almost did Tied Up and Swallowed because I think the stuff he does on that is just sick. But I also wanted to show a, a song in which he really, really slows it down and the notes adds so much to the feeling of the song. And I couldn't think of a better one than Feathers. Yeah, no doubt. It's probably one of his shorter solos and least amount of notes, but you remember all of them. I mean, we'll talk about a few more that are like that too, but he has a lot of those short, sweet solos and makes every note count. I particularly like what he does with the volume swells in this song. You know, there's a lot of real cool stuff there. And it's it has a very atmospheric quality to it. There's a lot of air yeah. in, in this song. Everything's his air moving through everything, a lot of open spaces, and uh, very Gilmore of him, if uh, if I may use the term Gilmore. But uh, you know, it uh, knows exactly what not to play, and that's always a, been a big trait of David Gilmore. Mark Ford is almost like an American version uh, of David Gilmore. No, David Gilmore is really known for tone. He kind of uses the same tone on everything, and and Mark varies it up. But both of those, if they wanted to, could go out there and shred and make you look like an idiot but they don't. It's what not to play. You know what I mean? Like I, I fully think Mark could go play anything he wanted to if he mm. put the time into it, but it's, it's what they don't play that makes it so special. It's definitely not note salad. Like you get with some other guitars. I, I'm about to really, it's a hot take. I'm about to really upset some people. I'm a big widespread panic fan. I like Jimmy Herring, but man, when you go see him live, he fits so many notes at times into those solos. I'm like, I don't know how he keeps count. And it loses some of the emotion to it. So all the widespread panic fans just left us. So and uh, uh, David Hall is high fiving himself somewhere right now. Oh yeah, David David Hall is is uh, is happy. I said that. No, I don't mean it as necessarily as a knock. I just don't get the same emotion that I did from Michael Hauser. Michael Hauser basically 
uh, revolutionized guitar playing with his use of the volume pedal and not playing a lot of notes. And so it's shocking when you hear Jimmy Herring play that many. And I just think that Mark knows he picks his shots and when he, when he takes them, they work. Yeah. He just, it's funny. You just said, uh, volume pedal and it made me think of when, uh, Steve Gleason asked Mark Ford, how do you get that long sustained note in the, uh, in the middle section of the live morning song? And Mark just went volume. <laughs> that was one of the most awkward pauses we've ever yeah. had. Cause it, cause I mean, it was edited out. It wasn't like mm, volume. It was like 10 or 15 seconds. Um, volume <laughs> <laughs> moving on and made even more odd because we couldn't see Mark. So we didn't know like, did we lose them? What happened? <laughs> yeah. No body language to read. <laughs> For the tracks on mine that didn't match everybody else's, uh, I happen to have two Mark Ford solo songs on my list. And one of them is from his Fuzz Machine record, and that's the track, My Love. Now, I love this because I think this is one of Mark's greatest solos uh, in his entire recorded catalog. It it's really simmers just before it, and it, it's this dynamic build, and he rips into this solo that, to me, approach-wise and tone-wise and, and emotion-wise, is very similar to the uh, Sometimes Salvation solo. And I love this one. I don't know if you guys are, are ultimately familiar with this. I went and listened to it. Like I said, I've told you before. I love his first album, and from there on out, for me, it's hit or miss. I'm not exactly all that familiar with all the deep cuts. What about you, Trent? Yeah, I went and listened to it as well. I hadn't heard it, but I mean, immediately when I turned it on, I thought Beatles, Pink Floyd, um, and he. you mentioned Gilmore earlier. I mean, Mark Ford, I don't want to speak for Mark Ford, but I know he loves Gilmore and he loves Jimi Hendrix. Um, you can hear a lot of different things in Mark's playing, but... This is uh this is definitely one that made me think of uh Pink Floyd kind of vibe. Yeah, I think I think I had a, a little closer connection to this because the first time I ever saw Mark live, 
uh, solo was on the the Fuzz Machine tour, and they were introducing a lot of these songs, you know, before they were on the record. And I watched him play this, and and up close and and right right near him like that. It's just it was a it was an experience. But uh, let's swing back to you, Trent. Uh, another one from your list that uh, was singular to your list uh, was the fantastic High Head Blues. This is just one I don't think most people would put because it is it's short, it's fast. He plays a lot of notes, um, but I love just the kind of like spill the wine kind of vibe. And uh, my favorite Mark solos are when he actually is more of like a cleaner tone, mm-hmm. and he has that in this one. Um, and just the progression allows him to do a lot. I don't know if that's a Chris progression since he wrote the song by himself, supposedly. I mean, I think this this one's notable for the fact that Mark is playing the main riff, where usually it's yeah. Rich that plays the riff, you know. Exactly. So. And the way they intertwine those is is really brilliant. My plan is to one day like do a video of some of these songs where I can play both parts. If I can get there, we'll we'll see. I'm not the best video editor at the moment, but yeah, this this is one of my favorite guitar songs in the Crows catalog, really. You know who is a good video editor? Seth Miller. So <laughs> he helps me enough with all kinds of stuff, trust me. Yeah, I I mean I think High Head Blues is a fantastic tune. And and it's funny you say um spill the wine. I never really made that connection, but that, that's a that's a perfect kind of comparison there. Yeah. And uh yeah, I I, I I always like the kind of Latin vibe in this, and I think this is uh overall a mark show so this is a nice pick what do you think of this one david well i love how it blues nice change of pace like you said on the solo it really kind of goes along with the um i don't know the vibe of the song i love this song live and i love it when i go see them and i play it they've played it just about every time i've seen them and it does showcase mark a little bit more in a different role than than other songs do which is kind of cool and you know, I remember one of those interviews, I can't remember if it was Dean Del Rey or not, but he said he always, Mark always encouraged Rich to take more solos. Mm. And, and he was like, you're a good solo player. And I, I think it's interesting because Rich does seem to play a lot of notes in his solos. Like, I ain't hiding. I mean, he just tears it up. And then you have Mark, which plays slower. And so I always kind of liked it on some of those songs live when they would go back and forth because you get the contrast of the different styles. Both of them are great. Um, I really like Rich's solo playing. I wish he did more of it. I think it has a little bit more of a rhythmic nature to it than mm. than like Marx does. Marx seems to be more a lot like pouring emotion into it. And Rich seems to be kind of like going along with the groove of the song. But um, I, I really wish Rich would take more solos. I, I enjoy them. And, and I know you know, there's this faction of the fan base that's not going to accept anything that doesn't have Mark Ford on it or anything like that. But Rich is a heck of a guitar player. It's funny that you bring that up, David, because actually on the live version of this, 
where they stretch it out at the end. Rich usually takes a solo, and I always kind of like Rich's solo on this. It's, mm-hmm. uh, but you're exactly right. He's more of a, a it gets into the groove and settles into it. And Mark, you know, is a little different style of playing. So it's it's interesting to hear those next to each other a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the two different contrasting styles. David, let's flip it back over to your list. You had another one that I toyed with putting on my own list, and uh, I've always loved this song. It's from Amorica that she gave Good Sunflower. me the happiest song in the black crows catalog other than maybe soul singing yeah the the tone that he uses in on this song matches perfectly with the keyboard or organ that ed harsh is playing i don't know if they sat down and came up with this song they almost mirror one another at times you almost don't know is that the organ or is, is that mark playing and then he comes in with those that wah pedal the solo at the end just makes me happy it's just so refreshing to have this like happy song and it not be cheesy at all. It, it not be over the top sentimental, I guess you could say. And the play out at the end with him and Ed, I mean, that's one of the best pieces of music in the Black Crows catalog. And, you know, we've gotten to know Lala a little bit. We know that's uh, probably about her. It, you know, the song didn't get played live as much as I thought it should have. Because it does have a cool, happy vibe to it. They play soul singing all the time, which kind of has the, the same vibe to it. But that outro on that one, it's just great. And it's amazing how Mark is on that one is able to make the solo sound happy like the rest of the song. Yeah, this is this is one. I, I had it just off of my list. Um, but this is one where he does play a ton of notes and he plays for a long time, which is sort of unique. Him. so far every song we've talked about he's had a different tone different length song different vibe like just shows how great mark is definitely a very versatile player for sure the uh the other track i i had that was uh, unique to my list was another one of his solo tracks and uh david you had mentioned his first record uh it's about time this is from that record it's called uh change of mind
I think uh, as far as his solo material goes, next to My Love This is probably Mark's greatest solo. But I, I absolutely love this solo. I, I, It's one of those ones that I anticipate from the opening notes of the song. I said, oh, I'm going to get something good here. And I love it every time. It just fits the song perfectly. And I just think it's, it's, it's such a great example of his subtle but powerful playing. I know, David, were you familiar with this one? Or did you have to go back and listen to it a bit? No, I, I remember it from that record. And one of the reasons I like that record so much is his playing is different on that than any of his other solo records. Uh, it has much more to me of like a full band feel to it, maybe because half of L.A. seemed to have set in on that <laughs> one, at, at, you know, at one time or another. And that's the album of his I go back to. And like I said, it's a full band sound. It's just not three people playing. And his solos on that one, you know, a lot of solos on that album were not him. Remember when we did that episode, hmm. he had a ton of people playing credited and uncredited. And uh, each one of those songs kind of almost had a different feel to him. It's almost like he'd been sitting around writing songs all these years and had a good slate, but they may have all been from different times of his life. And so they, there was not like a cohesion, so to speak. And he did, he used different tones on the songs, whereas like fuzz machine and some of that kind of stuff, it's a little more homogenous, but uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a song on that album. I just completely dislike. Yeah, that's, that's a great album. And I love his, his tone on, on most of that album really. Um, it's much more of the, like David said, the full band and not that it has a Nashville sound, but it's just a little more clean guitar, not quite twang, but just a little bit of that kind of country rock sound. Um, and that's my favorite Mark tone, really, uh, uh, rather than the fuzz. You know, that album and Ian's going to absolutely love this reference. It's a lot like wolfgang van halen solo album everybody thought he's going to come out and play like his dad and he doesn't i think a lot of people thought on this album he's going to come out and play like he was in the black crows and he didn't matter of fact this may from a solo standpoint may be the most restraint he's ever used mm. on an album and like we said a lot of people played on that a lot of people played solos which I don't know if like maybe he didn't have confidence in himself going into it, but I mean, he's Mark Ford. Why shouldn't he have confidence in it? Or he had so much confidence in his playing. I'm going to let some of my friends get in here and see what they can do. See, I always saw it as a more of a, an album that was focused on the songwriting rather than the playing as much, which is only one upped in his catalog by uh, Holy ghost. That is an album that is entirely about the songwriting and less about the, uh, I think I think he referred to them as guitar gymnastics or something like that at one time. I, I can't yeah. remember the term he used, but uh, yeah, I, I I just think uh, it's a it's a highly underrated album. It's odd in the fact that you know he left the Crows at the end of '97, and you didn't see this album till the early 2000s. You know there was a big break there, but you know he was touring with uh, uh, Chris Stills band and doing some of his own things and and this and that. Who's Chris Stills' father? Some guy named Steve. You know. But uh, so moving right along, David, you and I had a mutual track on our list, and that was from Three Snakes and One Charm. That was Girl from a Pawn Shop.
This is the most emotional playing of Mark Ford's career. I know some people are going to say sometimes salvation and it's man, it's right there. It's one a, this song is one of those ones that hits me in the feels every time I hear it. And it, the emotion on those solos of his just builds, especially when he's playing behind the singing kind of wish they'd turn that up a little bit. There's a song on the first magpie album where he needs to be turned up uh, in the background, but you have that cool effect and Trent here can explain it to me when they're coming out, uh, getting ready to go back into the song that Rich is playing. Is that like a flanger effect that he's playing through? Yeah, that's what I would call it. Yeah. So, when he's starting that sort of second half of the bridge or whatever. Yeah. So you just got this beautiful sound that you don't normally hear. And then Mark just comes out and I don't know if he got possessed or what, but when he did that solo, he nailed it. And I feel like the emotion was coming through his fingers, even though he didn't write the song. And this is my favorite piece of music Mark Ford's ever played on. Um, and like I said, it never, ever gets old. And bless everybody's heart, as we say here in the South, that has tried to play this live since him. I support other guitar players that have been for the, with the Black Crows, but nobody comes close, close live to replicating what he did. No, I mean, this is really like a, a an entire piece of music that he's all over. Not not so much as a solo or you know the colorations here and there. Start to finish, he's throughout this thing, and he really carries the song. It's his playing in it to me matches the emotion of the the story and the lyrics, and it really makes it an entire package. I don't know. What do you think of this one, Trent? Yeah, this is one of my favorite songs um, for sure. I didn't put it on my list just for the sake of us all putting the same five songs down. <laughs> um, this is for sure. This and sometimes salvation are, are, are one and one a, no doubt. Um, I, th I think this song probably is one, the one song on three snakes where they are all, everyone in the band is just at their best. I think you could probably say the same for wiser time and thorn, but every single member of the band is on fire. And especially Mark, I mean, it all kind of climaxes to that solo and rich robinson you you said it earlier david but i mean he really just lays the groundwork for mark and the bridges that's my favorite bridge probably in any song ever is is pawn shop you know you bring up three snakes there's several songs on there where i agree with you i feel like they're as locked in as they've ever been from every band member under a mountain good friday this and halfway to everywhere those songs, everybody in that band is at the peak of their powers. And it's one of those things, I think it was either Charity or Mona addressed this, and Sven addressed it as well. On some of those songs, they would say live, they were just like they were levitating. And mm. we asked Sven one time, what's that like? And he said, you will never experience it. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. And I feel like when they were in the studio, those four songs, they hit. Same thing with uh, some of the songs off Southern Harmony. I just feel like they got locked in and almost like some alternate universe and girl from a pawn shop is one of those examples. And one of the things I think that's great about his playing in it, it adds to the story in a nonverbal way. Yes. It, it, it contributes the beauty and the ugliness of that song all at the same time. And to me, it's just, uh, if I was going to write up, a, a a course in college of how to convey emotion in a guitar solo. That's it. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you at all. I mean, that's that's a very, very accurate summation of this song and, and Mark's uh, performance in this song. All right, so the next track up, actually, uh, Trent and I had mutually on our lists, and uh, I've always loved this one. This is from the band sessions. That's another roadside tragedy. This is my, maybe not what I would call the best Mark Solo, but this is my favorite Mark Solo. He just has, I well, really that whole period, he, the band album, he's playing in that sort of clean, Nashville-y kind of tone. This solo is so good. I mean, he burns the first half and then it goes into that part two where he's just super melodic and choosing the notes to play, letting it breathe a little bit, and then it builds back up. I mean, just... Great song and his best guitar work. Now, I won't say his best guitar, his best finger work. Maybe not his best emotion put into a song, but yeah, this is fantastic. This one, you and you, you hit the nail right on the head. That dynamic shift when it goes from really high energy and fast, and then the tempo just drops, mm-hmm. and he's laying that those very sparse notes over what what Rich and everybody else is is kind of playing there. It's a, it's almost perfect to me. It, it really, when I first heard the band sessions, you know, when that the first original bootleg was kind of circulating around, this was the song that that really drew me in, and I listened to that that particular part over and over again, just because I I never heard anything quite like it. But what do you think, David? All right, I got a question about the version that we got on the album. Is that really properly mastered and mixed? Well, I I believe the original recordings were recorded as demos so you know yeah. as, as i don't know what the process is for doing demos versus you know doing proper recordings because i've often wondered some of the sounds that we get on that would that have been how it sounded if it was completely fleshed out and they'd in, gone back in in terms I wonder, of wonder like the clean sound mm. was that them 
like I said, we don't know. And then hopefully there's somebody out there that can tell us this is exactly what it was supposed to sound like. But, you know, um, I can't remember if it was Johnny or who told us those songs were unfinished mm-hmm. when he went back and listened to them. So uh, anyway, uh, this is the song I appreciate a whole lot more live than I do on the record. You always get that as soon as Gorman starts, you know what song this is going to be. And they jam it out. And that 05, some of those 05, 06 versions with Mark on it were just phenomenal, you know, centerpieces of some sets. And, and they jammed it out a lot, um, almost every time. But it's not my favorite of his. But, I mean, something that's in the top 20 of his is better than most people's top two or three. So I'm not, I can't argue with that. Do you wish it was a little more polished? You would like there, to- there are times that I wish that it was. I mean, I love that on, on some days. That's my third favorite Crows album. Yeah. Uh, the farthest it, it will fall is fourth. I, I just wonder at times, some of it sounds a little bit flat on some of the songs. And I wonder what it would sound like if we got it properly mastered. And, you know, this may be all they had to work with. And this is the best that it's going to sound, but it's hard to understand. Well, I know why they did it, but it's hard to understand that the, that album just laying around. Obviously the Crows have several of those in their, in their, in their catalog. I mean, and Ian's going to get mad. I bring this up, but like Bruce Springsteen has released eight albums of unreleased stuff. Yeah. You know, and all of it's, all of it's top shelf and they're sitting around on this for a while. There's songs on there that you could have put on the radio. I've always said that that Wyoming and Me is a fantastic country song. I don't know why a country artist hasn't, you know, hasn't done it. And, you know, if they had reworked It Ever Stops Raining to Buy Your Side, that's a great single they could release. It has, you know, great appeal. But this album for people like us, I mean, it's just amazing. But it's also a glimpse of what could have come. I have to say how amazingly proud I am that you exceeded the 30-minute mark before you brought up Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I was making a point that you have people <laughs> that do not make smart choices about what they put out. And yeah. not putting this out until like 05, I mean, I don't think it was a wise decision. No, I don't either because I, I feel like the band was the next natural step from where three snakes was and as much as i appreciate a lot of the stuff on by your side it was definitely not the next natural step whereas it, we think the band sounds a little bit unpolished by your side is slick as can be yeah. yeah i think that's why i i actually just love band so much because i hate by your side <laughs> it's my least favorite out not that i hate it it's, it's just my least favorite crows album because it's so polished so I tend to go the other way. I want to hear it in its raw form. I mean that that is a sticking point for a lot of people with by your side. So you're not alone in that one, Trent. I mean, a, a lot the the production on that puts a lot of people off. I happen to appreciate it solely from the fact that Steve Gorman sounds fantastic on that album, and the way that Kevin Shirley recorded the drums, I, I really liked. It. it gave his already powerful drums this big like bombast to them, and I, I thought that was great. But I, I mean, I totally understand how such a slick production is is jarring especially but like some of the songs i think if the lyric like kicking my heart around you take the lyrics so it's an amazing song mm. some amazing yeah, sides. Some really good songs yeah Th- that's some great slide work by rich some of the Horse best head. yeah yeah and you, you just change the lyrics i mean stop kicking my heart around silly it's a silly song now i'll be honest with you when i hear it live it's fun 
Oh, yeah. uh, and you know, that's what you go to a concert for. But if you're sitting around listening to it on your record player or whatever device you listen, you're like, yeah, hey, I wish the lyrics had been a little bit different. But then you get Virtue and Vice, which is a banger. And like you said, Horsehead. Um, I really like Only a Fool. I, I love that song. And uh, obviously, By Your Side is great. And But yeah, yeah it's just uh, they went from one extreme to the other. They really did. So next up is actually a, a mutual pick between. Uh, david and trent and this is the the opening track from southern harmony and that is sting me It's a, a great solo, obviously. I think what makes it so great is just imagining not really, you know, you hear there's a new guitar player in the band and you put on Southern Harmony, not knowing what to expect. And the first track is Sting Me. And you get to hear Mark Ford, one of his best guitar songs ever and one of his best solos, I think. But for it to be the first solo and you hear him just burn it down, you're like, OK, this is going to work, I think. Yeah, I mean, arguably, this is most people's introduction to Mark Ford and the band. I know it wasn't the first single from the record, but if you just bought this album and put it on, this is the first time you're hearing Mark Ford, and it's a it's a pretty powerful introduction. David, I know you were always very big on this solo. Oh, this is, I've said it before, this is what I judge Black Crow's guitar players by. But before we get to that solo, how sick is that opening riff that Rich wrote? And nobody can play it like he does. Sorry, Marcus King. Didn't sound like you're in the right key when you played it. And nobody knows how to get out of it. Nope. You know, yeah. there, there's that part there at the end, Rich. And you watch Rich play it, and it may be easy. But to me, it sounds hard. And Rich makes it look so easy. It's funny, when Rich is playing these parts that, to me, sound very complicated, he's up there just as as cool as the other side of the pillow. Just like yeah. it's it's nothing to it. But that solo, when he goes into it and does that bend, oh, I mean, like Steve Gleason would say, like butter. It sounds so good. It sets tone for the rest of the um, uh, of the song. Only person that's come close, and I mean, he came real close to nailing it, was Charlie Starr. I feel like when Charlie did those couple of days in the band, he did by right by everybody that had played on those songs, and you could tell he was a fan. That was one of the happiest moments I've ever seen because I'm like, this Charlie's such a good human being, and this is his band. And he gets to go up there and the first show, I think it was twice as hard. You can go back and watch the video when they get ready to go into that first solo in between the course and the verse or whatever. You know how Rich will cut his eyes over there and look and you can realize after a couple of notes and he kind of Rich kind of smiles at him and Charlie kind of smiles back <laughs> like, hey, I got it. But, <laughs> but that that solo and sting me when he goes into that note being, I mean, like look at it on um. What's the live video that's in San Francisco? Um, oh, freaking roll. Yeah. Look at it 
on that. I mean, it's everything that's great about rock and roll. And had you not heard Remedy and you put this on, first of all, this sounds like nothing on Shake Your Moneymaker. And then you get that solo mm-hmm. and you're like, there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, no doubt. It's funny you bring that riff up. That is probably the riff that really got me into the crows where I was like, okay, I'm going to try and learn this. And that set me off. And you're right. Marcus King, one of the greatest guitar players walking this earth completely could not get it right. So, you know, it's not that easy. It's not the like getting your hands in the right spot. That's the hard part. It's just hearing what exactly he's doing and the timing. It's so hard. I still don't even have it close to, I probably got it 75% of the way there. (laughs) But do you understand when I say nobody knows how to get out of it at the end? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I mean. It's the time. It's really the timing is the is the tough part. And Rich makes it look so easy. Mm-hmm. I think it's almost like a style that Rich invented for himself. You know, he mm-hmm. a lot of people can't play the way he plays because it's very unique. I, I, Rich is very underrated as a as a you know a riff writer and a songwriter and a, and a player. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of people tend to uh, discount the value of a rhythm guitar player and uh you know the, the focus the tendency is to focus on the on the lead guitar player but i mean a lot of what rich is doing is is so unique but the way he plays some of those rhythms and, and riffs it's almost like a lead yeah times. exactly you're 100 percent right now our final song that we're going to be discussing all three of us had on our list so i'm going to consider this the the top pick amongst us it's hard not to talk about this song in some capacity when you're talking about the brilliance of Mark Ford and that is deep from the heart of Southern harmony. That's sometimes salvation. Mark told us he's never played it the same way twice. He said there's other people out there that can probably play it better than him right now. Uh, The solo was laid down in the middle of the night out of frustration with the producer, and he just got ticked off and laid it down. In my mind, I know this probably didn't happen, but in my mind, Mark just plays it, looks at him, sets the guitar down, and walks out. That's kind of how I hope it went. I doubt it went that way. It's a tone that I don't ever remember him using. It's like we talk about there's not a lot of notes, but some of the bends on that and the tone he uses takes a song that was already really, really good and pushes it over the edge. And I find myself honestly waiting for the solo and then Chris's singing after that solo is some of the best of his career. And so to me, the best part of the song is the second half, is the solo and and what Chris does coming out of it. I don't know anything about drumming. This song sounds kind of complicated to play on drums. Uh, It seems a little bit like an odd beat. This is one of those ones where you talk about the whole band 
is is locked in this is one but i mean this is the iconic mark ford solo absolutely see now i saw it a little bit differently than you did i see him kind of play it and then kind of like prince at the uh, george harrison tribute just throws the guitar in the air and walks away <laughs> and there's nobody there to catch it exactly <laughs> yeah i mean david said it uh it's it's sort of mark's moment um it's all feel 100 percent feel but what what he does on this song that he does on a lot he has such great control of kind of pushing his amp to the brink i mean you can actually hear like a crackle when he stops playing up his like just his hands moving you can like hear the amp being overdriven so he just puts it right on the edge and probably like you said mike dropped out of there which by the way i think steve said maybe in his book that they were rehearsing for southern harmony for a little bit in rich's garage and i'm just like imagine being that neighbor i mean what a (laughs) you're just listening to southern harmony being built yeah that's that that, you know that is mind-blowing and it's mind-blowing the number of days it took him to record this record you know i believe it was eight days it is the quintessential mark ford solo and it's interesting to me that it comes out of that place of frustration because a lot of a lot of the best recorded moments come like that. Like another one that springs to mind miles away from the Black Crows, but Metallica, uh, Kirk Hammond on the Black Album playing the solo for The Unforgiven. It was just out of such frustration out of not being able to do it the way he wanted to do it. And, and Bob Brock's kind of giving him a hard time and, and then he just plows out that what's now become an iconic solo. And, and you know, I think a lot of the best guitar moments are, are born out of frustration, uh, you know, good, better, and different. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the one that Mark Ford's, I would say, most well known for, and which is a shame because he can't ever play it the same way again, according to him. So, no one can. Now, I tell you what, when we saw the Americans, Kevin Meany came pretty darn close. Yes, <laughs> Kevin Meany does deserve an honorable mention for his uh, handling of uh, this solo, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I legit think Kevin could step in and play with the Crows, 100. percent He could hold his own. I, I definitely he'd, agree. He'd get scrutinized too. I got a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, who is this guy coming up here and, and playing? I, I uh, the the really... way this uh, fan base is, they'd still like him better than Audley Freed. <laughs> yeah. And Audley Freed, when I met him in Nashville, was the absolute nicest guy you'll ever ever meet. Oh, yeah. and, and just very humble. But I think one of the things when you can't talk about Mark Ford and not bring up, nobody can replace him. Nope. There's people that have come close. There's people that on the stuff that they have recorded with the Crows is amazing. It's their stuff. Mark probably couldn't step in and, and play some of that. There is a bit of a frustration at times with me in in people not being able to move past that he's not in the band anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be thankful that we got those four albums, including band, uh, out of him. We got some of the, I, I still think 92, 97, there was no live band on earth that could touch him. And, and you know, I, some people may differ with me, but I don't think they can. 0506 was great. And then the other guitar players have had moments with them. I think Nico's going to do special things on this new album. I really do. I, I feel it. I know when I saw him in Florida, what he brought to the live presentation was great. He did a, he did something on She Talks to Angels on, during the second verse that you could tell Rich nodded over there and basically said, keep going, keep doing that. And I think Nico has reverence for all the other guitar players but plays with feel and puts a little bit of his own spill on it, but he's not totally going to change up a solo the way Adam McDougal did those keyboard solos. 
Uh, he's going to be respectful, but add a little bit of his taste to it. But, you know, we got Mark Ford for four albums. That was great. And I think the, the fan base does a great job of supporting his solo endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people went and saw Ben Harper because he was playing with them. And obviously Blue Floyd was pretty cool. That's a unique concept, but there's no replacing him, especially in the live setting. And that's not a knock on anybody else that's played the band. Audley Freed's one of the most respected musicians around Nashville. He has played with everybody. Say what you want to about the Dixie Chicks or Cheryl Crow. They they don't play with slouches. And, and he's kind of the music director for them. And then Luther Dickinson's one of the most unique guitar players in the world. Probably the last of a dying breed of people that are going to play like he does. And we know what Nico did with Magpie. So um, I'm really looking forward to the album. I think it's going to be good. I really do. Um, I think Nico's going to add to it. And think about all these riffs Rich has had laying around for all these years. You know, it's not like Rich hasn't, I'm sure hasn't written anything, but I, I think the legacy of Mark Ford is not necessarily the recorded output. It's the live output because I didn't put my morning song on here because he takes it to so much of another level live. And we were focusing on studio efforts. Some of those live versions just take you out, take you out of this world, especially at the end on that sunrise portion. You just, it builds and builds and builds. You're like, I can't take any more of this. And then finally, you know, you get the big payoff. Volume, David, volume. Volume. That was, man, I, I wish you could have just seen it. Like, because Ian and I can see each other. And I was the one that asked him the question because Gleason, it was a specific show, I believe, in Syracuse. And it's like, I think Gleason even gave like the timestamp on it. And we <laughs> asked him and it's just, um, volume? <laughs> I think no discussion on Mark is complete without noting that mark ford is one of the most underrated guitar players in the history of rock music the fact that he is not included in conversations with some of the big big names is a is a shame and and it's not that he's undeserving of it i don't know what it is that doesn't move him into that stratosphere because and his his playing is just staggering on some of these records and 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 the caliber of it is is unmatched yeah i mean he i i think everyone in the crows is underrated but i'm you know i'm tremendously biased i guess but i think what makes him so great especially in the crows is just that he really gets the vibe and got the vibe from the beginning and he is so versatile and he he adapted with the band too i mean rich's songwriting changed a tremendous amount in the time that mark got to the band and left and he he adapted to everything and what he brings is is just pure feel and he he knows how to get that to his hands and out of the amp and it's no one can do it like him i i'm a huge luther fan which by the way go see the bag men if you guys haven't but uh yeah no one can do it like mark well trent it's been an absolute pleasure having you join us for this discussion on mark ford we hope you will come back and join us for future episodes and we hope you enjoyed yourself while you were here, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a long time coming, so I'm glad we got it done. And thanks and for being on Patreon with us. Yes, sir. If anybody else is interested in joining the Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash state of America and see what's going on over there. Ian gave away a uh, what, Oh Sweet Nothing vinyl mm. from Rich recently. Somebody who shall remain anonymous sent me these cool Black Crows keychains. I've been randomly sending those out to people. Uh, we've sent out a bunch of stickers, koozies, uh, some sh- some cool shirts, uh, some concert posters that were very valuable that we sent out. And what else we've we been giving away, Ian? All kinds of stuff, David. All kinds of stuff. You know, we have uh, 
rarities and new things. And you know, for a while there, we were doing uh, new vinyl Tuesdays, which should be uh, revived soon. We were just handing out a new vinyl record for oh, particular. And it's it's not finalized yet, so I'm not going to say what it is. But we could have an absolute one of a kind Southern Harmony box set on vinyl that we're going to give away that nobody else in the world will have. A State of America exclusive. Yes, and uh, hopefully we can make it happen, and because uh, we'd really like to pass that on to you guys, or one of you guys, I should say. But Trent, as usual, we do let our guest pick the playout song, so uh, have at it, my friend. What are we playing out with? Well, my favorite era of Crow songs is the sort of haunting era David was talking about earlier. That's what I call it, the dark era of Rich's writing. And my my favorite Crow song will always be Wiser Time, but I think I'm going to go with my second favorite which is title song, maybe a, a nice boot like a title song. Excellent. Excellent pick, my friend. All right. So we're going to play out with a nice live version of title song, and we will see you next time. We're going to throw it over to our producer, Jason. Stay tall, everyone.
Thank you.